When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's the 30th of November. A very big day, in fact, in the world of Australian sports. Today was the day that the Don made his test debut. That's going to form part of our last listener standing quiz. So there's a little taste for you. But before all that, some heavy hitters today. This morning, strong words from new Rugby Australia chairman Daniel Herbert, who has declared that rugby union in this country is facing a mini-crisis and he's warned that there could be more landmines to step on. Coming up, I've done a two-part interview that you'll hear right here on the morning program with the former World Rugby Player of the Year. That happened in 1999, the same year that he was part of our Rugby World Cup winning team. In fact, Dan Herbert was part of what you'd have to call a golden era for the Wallabies. But now he is in charge of fixing the game. He's been in that position for just under two weeks and he's in charge of trying to unite the stakeholders. There are plenty trying to clean up after the Eddie Jones disaster at the World Cup and also trying to get you, the sports fan, back on board. And if you're a rugby fan who's left the game, well, you are definitely in the sights of Daniel Herbert. So we'll do that this morning. I've had a chat with him earlier this morning and it is a two-part interview where we cover all of the issues in front of us in Rugby Australia and I'll be interested in your thoughts on that. So that's coming up soon. Make sure you stay tuned. Plus, Michael Maguire will be rubber-stamped as New South Wales State of Origin coach this morning. We will bring you the press conference live. The details, the New South Wales Rugby League will be holding the press conference and make the announcement at 11am. So we'll take you straight there. New South Wales Rugby League Chief Executive Dade Trodden will make that announcement and we'll take you there because the new coach will be available for interview. So Michael Maguire, we'll hear from him this morning. He'll also join Jimmy Smith later on this afternoon for an in-depth chat. And the news around is that John Cartwright will be also officially unveiled as part of the coaching staff for Madge. So it's all finally come down to the announcement that they can get out and get in front of the game here. Well, in front of the game, perhaps. I mean, it's been, it's been bubbling around, hasn't it? And we've seen what's gone on at the New Zealand Rugby League and Michael Maguire's position over there. And now the gates are open and the path is clear for New South Wales state of origin. Of course, John Cartwright, as the Brisbane Broncos assistant coach, one of their assistant coaches up there, that, that adds another thread to this, that he'll be alongside Madge in the New South Wales state of origin system where on a week-to-week basis he gets a first-hand look at plenty of the Queenslanders as well. 
State of Origin history will also form part of our last listener standing quiz. So we do that on Everyone's a Winner Thursday. We've got a golf box prize pack up for grabs, an Odyssey cap, a tour towel, Truviz golf balls. You can shop at golfbox.com.au or you're part of our quiz just after the 10 o'clock news. So one 1170 is the number that you need to write down and give me a call after the 10 o'clock news. In fact, call Tommy during the 10 o'clock news. You join the queue. If you get five questions right this morning, folks, you are the winner. You'll need to know some origin history. You'll need to know some cricket history. And I mentioned to you that Don Bradman made his test debut on this day against England. But maybe you might want to think about where and when Don Bradman really hit his straps. Also, we'll touch on some golf history as well with the Australian Open. So you'll more than likely have the answers in between now and then, but it's a lot of fun as we always do. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy 1170 is that open line number. Make sure you're part of it and make sure you stay tuned because Daniel Herbert coming up very soon. This morning, Brandy has shut down any thoughts that Penrith would release Jerome Luai um, before that they plan to if he's going to move. And we've seen this before with the Matt Burton situation. No problems whatsoever on this one because you've got to ask yourself the question, why would you? Why on earth would you if you the Panthers try to keep Jerome Luai but you can't do it for the long term perhaps in terms of the amount of money that's being offered elsewhere, then why let him go earlier unless you can get something, unless A, you want to, or B, you can get something back in return. So reports last night that the club could swap Luai to the Tigers immediately in exchange for David Clemmer and Lachlan Galvin. However, this morning Brandy has shut that down completely and that is no surprise. But Penrith fans or West Tigers fans, if this is what's going on, if this is what's in the mix, what do you make of that? Would you rather see if Jerome Luai, for instance, is planning on going to the Tigers in 2025? If that's the plan, well, the Bulldogs are now in the mix too because there's been an official meeting there with Gus Gould. So if he is planning to move on in 2025, Panthers fans, are you happy that the Penrith club is saying, no, we're going to stick firm? Or would you entertain the idea depending on what you could get? And that's probably the key, depending on what you could get. And then on the flip side of that, if you're a Tigers fan or a Bulldogs fan, what would you prepared, be prepared to give up to try and get him earlier? And is that an important part of signing Jerome Luai? Do you want him next year or are you prepared to wait until the year after? Let me know on 0457 736 736. Meanwhile, some of the uh, guys that will be selling rugby league to the Americans have been earmarked by their respective clubs. Campbell Graham at the Rabbitohs, Adam Reynolds at the Broncos and Aaron Woods from the Seagulls as those that are, could be the ambassadors spreading the word. The Roosters are still in the process of finalising their pick and they've got several players on a short list. At the Seagulls, Boss Tony Mestrov said Aaron Woods would be a great ambassador as well as playing he currently works in the media. So he'd be the ideal person to represent the club and the NRL. Not a bad choice. He'll keep them occupied. Blake Solly said to the Herald, Campbell's exploits speak for themselves. He's a Kangaroos World Cup winner, George Pickens medalist, club's highest honour. 
off the field. He's intelligent, articulate, and will have some fun promoting the game. So that's not a bad one either. And Adam Reynolds, of course, has got the look, he's got the nous, and he's got a bit of X factor about him. So that leaves the Roosters. So who do you think the Roosters should look at? We can have a bit of fun with this one this morning. And we've got to remember, too, that when they're over there selling the game, whilst we know who they are, we have to start from scratch and say, okay, we're putting these players in front of the market who essentially they don't know their history. They don't know whether they're leading players or whatever. They're going to have to sell it with their personalities. So who do you reckon they could send over from the Roosters? About 15,000 tickets have already been sold to the doubleheader and they're hopeful of packing out that stadium. 65,000 seats, of course, available to pack out. 0457 736 736 this morning. Let me know who we reckon out of the Roosters squad, perhaps a past player, anyone, really, that we want to send over and be part of that little sales pitch to the US. Meanwhile, Connor Tracy suffered a bit of a setback after joining the Bulldogs. That happened quickly, but last night on Twitter, Phil Gould confirmed that he suffered an injury at Sharks training on Monday. Won't start running again until mid-January, but should be ready to trial in February, which is still a very good outcome. Um, So that, you know, how do you know when those little injuries are going to come along? And let's hope that Connor Tracy's up and running quite literally, by the time that he starts his next part of rugby league journey at uh, the Bulldogs. Wayne Bennett has made an early season move with Val Tafare, and he said, I've sent him away to get fitter. So he's arrived at pre-season training overweight. I've sent Val away to get fitter. That's the situation. Came back to pre-season way too heavy and too unfit to play NRL at that body weight. He's doing no ball work with us at the moment, and our priority is is to get him fit. I can imagine there's a lot of former players who are listening to this program saying, so what? (laughs) That happens all the time, man. There's probably current players too, but in the current landscape, it it sounds like a big deal, doesn't it? Like, it's almost like you can't say that anymore. Well, Wayne Bennett can, and plenty of other coaches can, and I like to hear it. If he's turned back, he's got back, to pre-season training, he's too heavy and too unfit to play the NRL, in the NRL, then they've sent him off to make sure that he can. It's Ernie Moran said, no, no, no. You're going to drop all that and you are going to come back to be fit to play in the NRL. That's your job. So I like it. Let me know what you think about that on 0457 736 736. Very Wayne Bennett, very football sort of goes against a lot of what people will say in 2023. But, hey, that's your profession, and that's how you should be turning up to pre-season training, not unfit and not way too heavy to play the game that you're being paid a heck of a lot of money to do so. The WBBL final has now been locked in, and it's the Brisbane Heat. So they've made it through to play the Adelaide Strikers on Saturday at Adelaide Oval, and that would mean that if the Heat can win their next game... They've done it the hardest of ways. They've gone through the Eliminator, won that. They've gone through the Challenger, won that. And now they get to the final and try and stop the Strikers from going back-to-back. So the Heat beat the Scorchers by 67 runs last night 
at the Wacker Ground. I'll keep you across Sheffield Shield as well, New South Wales against Tasmania at the SCG. And meanwhile, we've got Matt Renshaw, Cameron Bancroft and Marcus Harris all playing in various games around the country. And those three openers obviously vying not for Australian selection at the moment, but for Australian selectors' attention at the moment. So we'll keep you across where they're all that. Plus, round one of the Australian Open at the Australian and the Lakes is underway. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is my open line number. You can join us this morning. Last listener standing quiz, of course, is coming up just after the 10 o'clock news. But after this, we will play uh, part one of our interview with Rugby Australia's new chairman, Daniel Herbert. Well, he's the man now in charge of rugby in Australia. As a player, of course, Daniel Herbert did it all, including victory in the 99 Rugby World Cup that year. He was also World Player of the Year. But now as chairman of Rugby Australia, it's a very different challenge. And I'm pleased to say that Dan Herbert joins me on the morning show. Good morning, Dan. So how different, how big is this challenge? Good morning, Matt, and good morning to all your listeners. Oh, it's a big challenge. There's there's no doubt about that. Every, uh, you know, our... A performance at the recent World Cup has uh, probably uh, brought everything to a head and everyone's very, very disappointed about that. Uh, there's a number of really good opportunities, you know, coming up in our, uh, you know, in our event schedule. So, we, you know, we've got a lot of work to do and, uh, you know, there are plenty of challenges, there's, you know, that's for sure. So, we will uh, we'll put our, our shoulder to the wheel, as I say, and uh, mate, we've got a, a few really good exciting this over the next couple of months that can get us back on track. We'll get to some of the deeper rooted issues in just a sec, but I want to know from a personal perspective, how the last, I mean, it's almost two weeks now since you've become chair. So how the last couple of weeks been for you? you? You must have got some, you know, advice and calls and support and all sorts of stuff coming your way. Were you, were you prepared and expecting all of that? Oh, I don't think prepared for it. I mean, I you know when it all sort of started to unfold, I was uh, heading to a, a mate's house for a dinner party, and uh, you know, sitting down to have something to eat, and then you know, then it all started to unfold. So I don't think I don't think you're ever <clears throat> fully prepared for it. But uh, yeah, it's been look, it's been a pretty hectic, uh, probably ten or so days, however long it is, and um, I've had my phone on do not disturb most of the time. But uh, you know, there's been a lot of people reaching out, wishing well, and and that's been nice. Um, but uh, you know, I'm certainly aware of the challenges that lie ahead, and uh, and there's plenty of them. But uh, we've got a good team there. At Rug- we've got a good group of directors around me as well. So we'll uh, you know we'll certainly do our bit to get it back on track. You've been on the board for a few years. Did you have designs on becoming chairman? Uh, God no. I was happy being a backbencher. I was happy doing my bit behind the scenes to uh, the board. And- and the game more broadly where I could incognito, but uh, uh, so no, certainly no designs. I never thought, you know, I never thought this would uh, this would occur. But you know, sometimes you don't choose what what happens, and uh, you've just got to get in and, and do your bit. So uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to making a you know a bigger contribution and doing what I can. And uh, you know, I understand. I think the game. I've been around it for 45 years at all levels, and uh, you know, I understand all of the different layering of the game and uh, the stakeholder part of it. So, look, it's it's a challenge and there's always been a level of friction within the game and, uh, you know, we've got to we've got to bring it together and not waste this opportunity. You know, there's, you know, there's a, a mini crisis afoot and we need to use that to our advantage to try and get all the stakeholders in a room and agree on a, path, a pathway uh, taking us forward. 
Part of the reasons behind Hamish McLennan's departure were the member union citing a lack of trust or faith in his leadership or the direction that he was taking Rugby Australia. What do you think will be different about your leadership and your direction? Well, I mean, actions will speak louder than words, but, you know, I'll certainly be listening to people. We've got to get out. And I think sitting on sitting on the other side of that table from a state union point of view, which I did for eight years a long time ago, uh, you just want to know that, you know, you're being heard and listened to. And sometimes some of the best talent, both from a playing perspective and, uh, and an administration perspective, sits there as well. So they've got some good ideas, some good experience, and, and they want to be heard. And, uh, and some of the ideas that will come from them uh, will be really crucial as to how we move forward. So, you know, I, I go back to we've just got to unite and not, you know, not be seen as a, I guess, a governing body that's, uh, that's not in sync with all of its stakeholders. We've got to listen to them and, uh, and then we've got to take it on and, and chart a way forward. How do you reflect on the Eddie Jones experiment? I'll, I'll say it like that. How do you reflect on that time and, and Rugby Australia's, the board, everybody that was that was alongside for that ride and that period that's gone on over the last, well, less than a year now. Yeah, look, it was you know it was a bit tumultuous, wasn't it? I mean, it uh, it was always high risk. I think if uh, you know myself at the time, there was myself, Andy, and Phil sitting around, and, and we knew that that would you know making a decision of that magnitude that close to World Cup would certainly bring with it um, some high risk. And we sat and debated it for a long time with the, the other board members around the different scenarios that could unfold, you know, from a player point of view, from a staffing point of view. Often when you move one domino, that you know, it affects some others and what will that mean to the playing group? And we came back to we didn't feel that the team at that point was necessarily on point to go through and win a Rugby World Cup. And we felt that winning a World Cup away from home you know, that would certainly um, energise the sport. But we made a final in, in 2015. And in 2016, I think normal programming was resumed. We lost at home to England 3-0. Our super rugby clubs weren't able to beat New Zealand teams. So even making a final in 2015 didn't make a big impact from a participation base or a commercial base. So we felt that the only way that we would really make an impact on the Australian market was to win the tournament. And we didn't feel that we were on track. And I think there was a... There's a fair gap between the top four. If you look at South Africa, New Zealand, France and Ireland, there's a fair gap to the next. And we didn't feel that we were really um, going to bridge that gap um, without some sort of change. And uh, But with that change, we knew the risk that, that came. You could go backwards before you go forward. So that was certainly debated heavily. And, um, you know, it obviously didn't go to plan. Do you regret that, that decision that you made with Eddie Jones? Oh, that's a hard one to ask because, as I said, I don't think we were—I don't think we were on the right track. Um, you know, it's easy to look back in hindsight now, but you know, I think had we not have done something, then equally we could have been criticised because we wouldn't have made. You know, we—I don't think we would have made the final. It's all hypothetical now, but you know, I didn't feel, and we certainly didn't feel after losing to Italy and and not having a great spring tour. I mean, we pushed Ireland and France close, but you know, they hadn't played for six months. But weren't. Uh, going to be at their optimum when we were there, so uh, it's it's obviously easy in hindsight, but we certainly debated, and uh, you know the three of us who've been involved in those situations before knew the risk that came with it. So yeah, it's hard to say, hard to say really for me because it, uh, I don't think we would have featured at the pointy end necessarily anyway. It's an interesting one, isn't it? What happened at the Rugby World Cup, Dan? Because you wonder 
if Australia had have got through, if, if they had have got past where they got to, whether or not that had papered over the cracks. And, and you referred to this earlier as a mini crisis, and it makes you wonder whether this is the kind of bottoming out, the crisis that rugby had to have, which is not a good position to be in, but sometimes you've got to bottom out to, to know where you've got to go. Is, is that the view at the moment? Yeah, well, before Kettingwang said it's the recession we had to have, and I think, as I said, back in 2015, we almost got bundled out by Scotland in the quarterfinal. And had that have happened, I think we would have, you know, we would have done something about it then because uh, we would have been forced to. You know, we would have looked at, we would have looked at why, why that occurred, and I think we would have made some some changes at the time. But I think because we made it all the way through, we felt that we were, you know, still able to compete with the world's best. So we didn't really have to change anything. And uh, so I, I do think it papered over the cracks. And I know, uh, looking back, I, I left the game around that time. But looking at the moves made to try to do this then in terms of trying to uh, align the high-performance aspects, um, but it was unsuccessful. And it's been unsuccessful a few times because of the parochial nature of, of what we're dealing with. And uh you know, I'm hoping we don't miss this opportunity. It's a, you know, we've got particularly with the, the pipeline of big events coming down, you know, and this isn't a switch that you're going to flick. It's it's going to take a bit of time, but the sooner you start, the further you'll get in a short period of time. So, uh, you know, I, I do see it that way. I, I see it as finally we've got, I think, everyone realising that uh, it, it's not down to a coach, you know, it's not down to, you know, just the, uh, the athletic makeup of our players. It's actually the high-form system that, you know, is uh, is slightly off kilter, and it was okay when I was running around a long time ago because everyone was the same, everyone was uh, misaligned. But uh, now, you know, particularly our our major competitor, New Zealand. You know, if we were a domestic game, and uh, you know, like our major competitors, and weren't constantly competing with some, you know, some really big global, uh, um, then it, then it wouldn't be such a big deal. But the reality is we're a, we're an international sport, and our neighbour is very organised, and we play them all the time. And I think the in the history of sport, they're the most successful team of any sport. When when I refer to the All Blacks, and uh, they've got pretty good Super Rugby teams as well. So, you know, they're they're not only very good historically, but they're now very aligned, and they have been for some time. And and uh, you know, I liken it to fighting Muhammad Ali in his prime with one arm tied behind your back. You know, we've got to. We've got to fix it, and this is, you know, this is the time. What about other competitors, Dan, in the professional sporting marketplace? You've got the NRL, the AFL, obviously, in your own backyard. How do you propose to tackle the competition? You've got a lot to sort out in your own game, but what about your competition? We're talking players, um, we're talking pathways, eyeballs, sponsorship, everything. Have you... Have you worked on a plan on how to tackle Peter Volandis, for instance, at the NRL? I mean, your, predece- your predecessor didn't mind, didn't mind a slanging match. How are you going to approach that? No, look, I, I, that, that's just not my style. I won't be doing that. I mean, I, I said the other day when I was talking to some media that we've got enough in our own backyard right now that we have to focus on. And I, and I do think, you know, buy around that. And I don't mean to talk purely about the high-performance aspect. It's more about, I know of the game is really uh, driven by how our Wallabies perform. And that's the reality. And you and I probably wouldn't be having this conversation right now had the Wallabies not have, have performed as they did and been bundled out. Uh, the changes probably wouldn't have occurred. And we would have, you know, if we'd made even a semi-final, um, we might have just continued on with life as it was. But, you know, I'm hoping that this now drives the, uh, the opportunity that we've got. So right now, I think 
the biggest boxes we need to tick uh, within our control, within the game's control. And then, you know, the, the commercial aspect, and, you know, it's probably more from a uh, our direct competitor on the field, you know, New Zealand and, and even Ireland and what some of these competitors that we've had, they've they've been able to re-energise the commercial side and the participation side through driving the high performance. And that's why I come back to, if we can get that working, then more sponsors want to be attached to a winning team. The broadcast will increase when it's a winning team. Uh, but at the moment, the outcome's all too predictable because we're, you know, if, if we were England playing New Zealand once every three or five years, then it wouldn't be such a big deal that we have to play them a lot. Uh, so that's, you know, once we can fix that up, and, uh, you know, I've been, I was working in the game when Rugby Australia tried to do this previously and it came around to capability. Have you got the capability to do it? Uh, so that's why I keep referring to the importance of a performance director um, who looks after tomorrow. You know, the coach looks after today. The high performance director looks after and makes sure that you've got a, a system that's humming, uh, but it's a, you know, it's a challenging job. So uh, three or four quick issues to finish off. And, and just on what you said about your high-performance director, I'll, I'll attach that to the Wallabies coach. Where are you at with your high-performance director scope in terms of who you're looking at and when you think you can get a deal done? And where are you at in terms of names, if not urgency, if you see it in that part, on the next Wallabies coach? Yeah, well, I'd, you know, if you look at the um, Eddie Jones bookends, the Wallaby coaches, we're not, you know, you don't outrun a bad diet and you're not going to outcoach a misaligned system. So that's where I've deliberately driven the narrative away from the, the coach because changing the coach just doesn't change anything. And, uh, you know, if, if we look at all of the coaches that we've had coaching the Wallabies over the last 15, 20 years, they've been successful before they've got there and, uh, and been successful often after they've left. So it's, you know, if we put down purely a coach, it's, it's the wrong way of looking at it. Um, that's not scouting. That they have to be really, you know, we have to choose a really good person to come in, and they're going to be an important leader for the players and the staff. But you know, it's not going to change unless we can change the system and the alignment of the Super Rugby clubs with the national team. So, um, in terms of where we're at, we've been uh, running the process now for a couple of months. It uh, we deliberately kept it open uh, after the World Cup because we knew that. There's a lot of people who just didn't want to talk to you in the lead up to a World Cup. You know, they were focused on their own their own team. So we waited until after that. And uh, but we're we're very well advanced, and we'd like to think that there'd be a be a decision in the coming weeks or an announcement in the coming weeks. You know, we'll be we'll be getting to that very very quickly. It'll be you know one of the first orders of business as is right now. The other really important appointment that we're looking to make is the first full time head coach of the Wallaroos. Um, they've done you know they've done really really well. In the WXV recently, um, they're an exciting team, and uh, you know we're we're taking some some small steps toward uh, you know toward making that environment more professional as well. I know you don't want to give names away, and you won't name names, but let me ask you this: Has anyone knocked on your door about being Wallabies coach in particular, or Wallaroos coach for that matter? Uh, yeah, yeah. People always come and knock on doors, and you know, managers who knock. I'll let you know that you know they've either they're interested or their client would be interested in having a discussion. So um, we already know there's you know between Phil and myself, we already know there's a there's a group of people out there who are who are up to this job, and we know that it'll it'll come from a uh, you know a pretty short list of people who've demonstrated success in in different environments. So 
Um, but what we want to do is wait for the High Performance Director to be in place, see if they've got any other ideas, and then quickly get their skates on and, uh, and start that. But we've already had, you know, we've already had a number of people reach out. So a couple to finish, Dan. First up, where are the finances? Does Rugby Australia have the funds to continue to try and do what you want to achieve? Uh, look, you can't do everything, you know, and this is going to be something that uh, that the board is going to have to stare into. We don't, we we have a lot of balance to feed, and I think one of the challenges we've had is we've tried to be everything. And we try, uh, we tried, we've been very spread across the board and very thinly spread and uh, and widely spread, and and I think part of that is we end up doing a lot of things but not doing everything uh, really well. So you know we will have to uh, we'll have to stare into what we what we can afford to invest in right now and what's going to make the biggest impact, um, and uh, and that's coming up over the next uh, month or so. We'll have to finalise the budget for next year, and then we know what's coming down in 25 and and uh, and 26. So there's some good things happening in obviously the Lions in 25 and the World Club Championship. I think that comes in around 26. We've got uh, Women's World Cup. Uh, 29, and, and there's some obviously some rugby championship and uh, Bledisloe and other things, and uh, so there's plenty of there's plenty there, but uh, you know 24 is going to be another challenging year, um, so uh, we're going to have to look at where we can allocate, and we obviously have that. We announced the debt facility to get us through. You know we needed a bit of headroom, and uh, you know that's been secured, which is good. So that gives us a bit of an ability to. Um, to to make some investment, but we've also got to be responsible around that. You know, that's that debt comes with interest, and we've got to be really, um, you know, we can't continue to be everything to everyone. It's, you know, we are going to have to prioritise. So that's you know that's something that the board are going to have to stare into over the next month. So it's clear that you've got a lot on your plate. That's absolutely clear, and I, and I can tell you from the listener reaction that we get especially from lovers of rugby, you know, fans of rugby. And you were one, you're an ex-player. You've achieved at the highest level. Clarity's been something that they say have been missing. So what is a clear message from the chairman now to fans of rugby in Australia for what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? I mean, the uh, <laughs> we're going we're to make some really important announcements over the next, next couple of months. Uh, we won't be able to please everyone, but we will focus on the areas that will drive the biggest impact for the game. And uh, and we need to, you know, the, I talked about the, the sentiment around the uh, national teams performing. Uh, we need to unite the game. We need to bring everyone. That'll be, you know, that'll be my job. That'll be Phil's job to bring the game together. Not everyone's going to be happy with everything that occurs, but we will chart a way forward and, uh, and we'll do it responsibly. And, uh, you know, we'll make sure that we get our national teams humming to give us the opportunity to perform on the big stage, to drive the dollars, uh, to drive the broadcast and sponsorship and everything that uh, can then feed the wider game. Uh, because 80% of the money that comes into the game comes through that, call it the high performance or the professional aspect. And that's the money that then needs to be invested in the community game to grow that. Um, the success measure is how many people are playing the game and how many are out to watch it. And, you know, if I'd... Uh, if I'd had a dollar for everyone who's given me some free advice over the over the last couple of weeks, um, you know what it shows to me is there's uh, there's a real undercurrent when you get on board and and want to believe in uh, in our teams again. And uh, I think there's a there's a great opportunity in front of us. We've just got to make sure that the game, you know, from the fans and the players, use the opportunity to, and the administrators 
uh, take the opportunity to make sure that we make some really fundamental change that can set us up for success. Daniel Herbert, we appreciate your time this morning. Best of luck in this job. It is still only brand new, but thanks for your time, mate. Really appreciate it. Thanks, mate. My pleasure. Welcome back. Round one of the Australian Open underway at the Australian and the Lakes Golf Club. So that's how it rolls out. Um, both of those courses in use today and tomorrow. So we've got players all over the place. We've got men's, women's, all abilities, etc. all out there at the same time, which is pretty funky, but it makes it difficult to try and then track everything. Cameron Davis leads the way. So he is playing on the Lakes course and he is currently five under the card. So he's leading the men's side of the scoring. And that's from Patrick Rogers, the American who is at four under. So Cam Davis has played his, played the back nine first, and he's eagled the 14th. One, two, three, four birdies along the way as well. So um, that's Cam Davis's start. Patrick Rogers, like I mentioned, he's at the lakes as well. And he is at four under the card. Minwoo Lee is in a tie for third. So he's playing at the Lakes this morning. And he's gone through the back nine in three under. So Birdie's at the 13th, 14th and the 17th hole as well. And I'll scroll down the list here and see if I can find any of the others that got away early. Cameron Smith. So currently tied for 15th. He's at one under. So that's four shots off the lead at the moment. And playing at the Lakes, he's gone par for the first three holes. Then he's birdied the 13th, birdie on the 17th, and bogey looks like to me on the 18th there. So he is one under the card, yep, after uh, nine holes. Um, in terms of those feature names in the women's, Minji Lee is at even with the card. So she's playing at the Lakes. And Steph Kiriakou, who we had on the program just a couple of days ago, is also there, and she's in the same group. She's at minus two. Uh, Budsa Bakorn leads the way. Sukapan Budsa Bakorn leads the way at three under the card. So the best of the Aussies, Gabriella Ruffles and Steph Kiriakou as well. So there you go. That's how they're looking at the moment at the uh, Australian Open. We'll keep you all across that. The scoring system is kind of okay on this one. Remember at the PGA, as we were going through the leaderboards um, via the the internet, it got a bit clunky. This one's okay. The only thing that it doesn't give you is per hole what's par and what's not. So it just says hole one, two, three, four, five. It doesn't say par three, four, five, etc. along the way. Um, but at least it's updating, and they've also got to keep track of who's playing where. For those that are playing at the Australian course, David Horsey is the best at the moment at minus three. So Cam Davis through eight holes on the Lakes course is minus six. David Horsey through seven holes on the Australian course is at minus three. And then they'll all come together once the cut is made for the weekend. So that's the golf this morning. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line number. And I mentioned there um, Patrick Rogers, the leading American. That'll, it'll pose part of our last listener standing quiz this morning. There's an American that is featured. When you go back through the history of the Australian Open golf, I mean, there are plenty of great American names. Jack Nicklaus won it six times. 
The Shark won it a handful of times as well. But Americans more recently, we hadn't, didn't, didn't see a lot of them coming out here and therefore they don't feature as much on a winner's list at the Australian Open as you'd think. In fact, you've got to go all the way back some 30 years. There's only been two American winners in that space. One of them won twice. There's a little clue for you. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. that open line number. Adrian Presenko and the Herald this morning has uh, reported that the Tigers could face a million bucks a year hit as the axe hovers over the board. So, therefore, they could be forced to find a new major sponsor if the independent review leads to the removal of Chairman Lee Hadjipantelis. So that review was commissioned by the controlling faction on the Tigers board. It's ongoing. There's no date that has been set for the findings to be announced or implemented. But an update was given at a scheduled board meeting on Tuesday night and the Herald has revealed that one of the likely recommendations is for the directors who commissioned the report to step back. Any requirement to refresh the board may also claim Hadji Pantelis, one of three independent directors. And of course, there's no suggestion of wrongdoing, as Adrian points out, by Lee Hadji Pantelis or any other director, but as well as being Tigers chairman, he's also the club's major sponsor via his legal firm, Bryden's Lawyers, who pay about a million bucks a season to feature on the front of the Tigers jersey. And that contract ends after the 2024 season. So that's the situation at the moment there. There's still a review taking place and there's no date that is there for anything to be announced or implemented. It's just working its way around the background of the Tigers, but it could have a monetary hit, could, if it led that way. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy 1170 is my open line number. Uh, I've got plenty of texters here who are always on the road, um, so you can send your answers in. James likes to play a game now with the last listener quiz where he sends answers before he knows the question. So, questions. So, James, once I've done the questions, in the next 10 minutes after the news... I'll see how close you were. But let's see. We'll do that after the news, but the break is first. Very good morning to our listeners joining us on SENQ 693 in Brisbane. Thanks for your company. Welcome back to those on 1170 AM in Sydney and wherever you tuned in on the SEN app on this Thursday morning. We've got a lot of sport ahead of us today and we've got some breaking news that will come in about an hour's time where the New South Wales State of Origin coach will be officially unveiled. We know who it is, but we will hear the official announcement and we'll hear from Michael Maguire and his coaching staff. So reports that John Cartwright will be joining Michael Maguire as part of the New South Wales setup. They are scheduled to have that press conference in just about an hour's time. So we'll take you there as soon as that gets underway at the New South Wales Rugby League Centre of Excellence. So we've now locked in Michael Maguire as of today, essentially. State of Origin coach next time around for New South Wales, taking over from Brad Fittler. I've had a chat this morning with the new chairman of Rugby Australia, Daniel Herbert, and you can catch up with that on our podcast platform, Mornings with Matt White. He's covered a range of issues, admitting that rugby is facing a mini crisis right now, that the high-performance director position is absolutely crucial to what happens next when we think about the Wallabies because that will also determine the Wallabies coach. He's reflected on the Eddie Jones appointment 
and his part in that decision-making process as well. Also agreed that, yeah, the game has bottomed out in this country and perhaps had Australia gone any further at the Rugby World Cup that maybe they that could have papered over some of the cracks. Plus, he's had his say about competitors that they face in rugby and how far behind, for instance, New Zealand we are, plus the competitors in the other professional sports space in Australia. Rugby League, AFL, how do they tackle all that? It's a huge job. Might play a little bit of audio from that interview this morning with Daniel Herbert, but the extended version on our podcast platform right now. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is my open line number. We do the last listener standing quiz at this time every Thursday morning on the program where everyone's a winner. We've got a golf box prize pack to give away, and you've got to get through five questions. Five questions only. Now, today is the day, back in 1928 it was, that Sir Donald Bradman made his test debut for Australia. It's all started that far back when he played his first test match. So there's some questions around that. We'll tap into some state of origin history as well with the appointment of Michael Maguire, and you'll need to know a little bit of golf history because the Australian Open golf is underway this morning in Sydney at the Australian Club and at the Lakes Club as well. So they're operating a dual system at the moment over the two courses. And then on Saturday and Sunday, I had some texts about that on Saturday and Sunday. They just focus firmly on the Australian Club. So we've got men's, women's, all abilities all taking part today. So it's busy, busy, busy. Cameron Davis leads the way at six under par. He is through nine holes on the Lakes course. Min Woo Lee has made a bit of a charge. He's at four under. So he's in a tie for second with American Patrick Rogers. So Min Woo Lee at the Lakes has gone three uh, birdies in his first nine holes, which was the back nine. And then he has birdied the first hole on the turn. So he is now at four under the card and in a tie for second position with the American Rogers. Cameron Smith has also picked up a shot. He's moved up to a tie for eighth at minus two through 10 holes on the lakes. So he bogeyed the 18th, and then he's come back and alongside Min Woo Lee has birdied the first hole. So Cam Smith there at minus two. The leader, Cam Davis, at minus six. On the women's side, Sukapan Butsabakon. Leads the way at minus three from Gabriella Ruffles at two under. There's a whole stack of players at two under. Jaya Shin, Sarah Kemp, Sarah O, Rachel Lee, the amateur, and Stephanie Kiriaku at minus one. Min G Lee is at plus one. <clears throat> so one of the other big names there, just as I scroll down and see where it came unstuck for her. Um, a couple of birdies to start with. She's playing at the Lakes and started on the back nine, so a couple of birdies in her first five holes. However, then bogey, bogey, and a an, uh, double bogey on the 18th, and then she has birdied the first. So that's the story at the golf, and we'll keep you updated with that. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is my open line number. So let's do our last listener standing quiz. So here's how it works. You give me a call, you go into the queue. If you go all five questions, you're going to win the prize. If you miss out, stay on the line because we can come back to you. So we'll just do that as we speak, but you can still hit me up. There's some spots on the line available. But John from Burpengary is first up. So, John, you were first on the on the line, so you get first crack at it. Good morning, mate. You ready to fire? Ready to go. 
Okay. How are you with state of origin history and in particular New South Wales state of origin history? Uh, given the fact I'm calling from Queensland, I will say I not well. I know, I know. That's why I thought you were... Okay, well, let's take it back then because what I want to know was the very first State of Origin match in 1980, the first State of Origin match as opposed to the first State of Origin series, we've got ourselves a new New South Wales coach um, being announced today. Do you recall who was the first New South Wales State of Origin coach back in 1980? Ted Glossop. <laughs> yes, it was. It was Ted Glossop. Yeah, that's an interesting one because a, a lot of people go, oh, hang on a second. 1980, yeah, that was the first match, but the first series was then in 1982, um, which leads me to the other question. Yeah. And, I, and I'll just send it really easy your way on this one because the question was going to be on New South Wales, but obviously I'm going to flip it to Queensland. Who captained Queensland in that first match? Um, mate, if I got this wrong, I would definitely I be hung in the Queen Street Mall this afternoon. I would have called Arthur Beetson. Yes, well done, mate. So you're two out of two. All right, here we go. Don Bradman, as I said, made his test debut on this day against England. It happened on this day. He played his first four test matches in Australia. At what ground did Don Bradman score his first test century? It'll be a stab, but I'll say Adelaide Oval. Nah, it wasn't Adelaide Oval. That's a, not a bad stab. I mean, it's not hard to pick, really, with Don Bradman. Is it? But thank you for that. John, hold on to the yeah. line there because we might come back to you. Okay, Steve, let's go to you. Good morning to you, mate. So, Don Bradman, which ground saw Don Bradman score his first test century at? Steve, you got me? No, nope, Steve's oh, not sorry, there. Matty. Oh, there you go. Um, go for it, mate. Yeah, I'm here now. So, uh, was it uh, the Gabba? It wasn't the Gabba. It wasn't the Gabba. That's where he made his test debut. Thanks, Steve. That's a a little bapal thing isn't working. But hang on the line. Hang on the line. So the test debut came at the Gabba against England. I'll tell you this much. We know that it wasn't the Gabba in his first. Test match, Don Bradman scored 18 and 1. So, Rob, we go to you. Let's give this a, tr- a crack. So, we've we've ruled out the Adelaide Oval and we've, ru- we've ruled out uh, the Gabba. What ground did Don Bradman score his first century in Test match cricket? Uh, I'll go the MCG then. Yes, well done, mate. Well done. He did, yes. Debut at the, at the Gabba at Brisbane. In 1928, it was the test match against England, and he scored 18 and 1. He was 12th man in the next test. And then he went to Melbourne, and he scored 79 in the first innings, and then scored 112 in the second. And that would be the first of 29 test match centuries that he scored. So you're on the board, mate, which means you've only got two more to go. Two more, and you'll win the prize. Righto, let's go to golf. I, let's go to golf. The Australian Open's underway right now. Who was the last American player to win the Australian Open golf tournament? Oh, gee. Um... <laughs> he won oh, it twice. Think... I'll give you that um, clue. Yeah, he, what... he won it twice. Yeah, was it... Um... Oh, that, that funny lefty. 
Okay, hold on to the line. I'll pass this one on to Jim, who's listening in Quakers Hill. Who was the last American player to win the Australian Open, Jim? Oh, I'm going to take a stab in the dark. Um, Nichols? No, 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 it wasn't Phil Mickelson. Um, or Nicholas, did you say, Jack Nicholas? No, it wasn't, it wasn't Jack Nicholas either. Yeah. He wasn't the last one to win. He, he certainly won it, but uh, he won it six times, in fact. He wasn't the last one to win. All right, that, that brings us all the way back to the start. John is back on the line. You get a second crack at it, mate. Righto, there was a, a young American player that won in 2014, and he won again in 2016. Who was that American player at the Australian Open? It's going to be a bit of a stab. I'll say Jordan Spieth. Yes, yes. Well done. Well done. So he won in a playoff at Royal Sydney in his last one. He had an absolute ball when he came out here. I remember it well. He was only a young bloke. Uh, in fact, I don't think he was 21 when he first came out. So legally over there in the States, he couldn't party. But out here, he could. He was 18 and he absolutely lapped it up. So two-time winner, which leads us to the last one. Now, this this might be in your wheelhouse here because we're talking about a great Queenslander. How many times did Greg Norman win the Australian Open? Mm. <laughs> Don't a I'd say three. It wasn't three. It was more than three. So that's a bop on. All right, oh, more than three. There's the clue for you. Thank you, John. There's the clue for you, Steve. We're back to you. How many times did the Shark win the Australian Open, mate? I'll go four. Oh, it's not four. It's not four, which takes us back to Rob. Rob, last time was 1996. How many times did the Shark win the Australian Open? Wasn't three, wasn't four. I'm going to say five. <laughs> yes, you're in. Well done, mate. We got there in the end. Thank you to all of our other callers. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, John. Thank you to Steve. Rob, you are the champion, so hold on to the line there. I'll send you back, and we'll see if we can uh, get you a Golf Box prize back or a Signet Boost Power Bank, whichever one you want. The Golf Box prize back, you can shop at golfbox.com.au. It's got an Odyssey cap, a tour towel, Golf balls in there, the absolute lot. Greg Norman won the Australian Open five times in 1980, 1985, 1987, 1995 and 1996. So a quick recap. The coach of New South Wales in the first state of origin match was Teddy Glossop in 1980. Who captained Queensland? Well, it was Artie Beats. And who captained the Blues? It was Tom Radonikas, just as an aside. Don Bradman scored his first test century at the MCG, 112 in the second innings. And the last American player to win the Australian Open golf tournament was Jordan Spieth. And interestingly about that, when you go all the way back, you've got to go all the way back 30 years ago to 1993 to find the other one, Brad Faxon. Not a lot of the American players liked to come down here or wanted to come down here at that time and they couldn't make it work. That was when it was the... Heineken Australian Open and then the Holden Australian Open. And in that time, really the only international winner, well, Lee Westwood won it in 1997. Rory won it in 2013. 
We had a South African win it in 2008, Tim Clark, Abraham Answer, and then last year, Adrian Moronk. So what's that five plus speed twice, seven winners in the last 30 years? There haven't been editions of all that because of COVID and all the other stuff, but that, that an American, that an international player has broken through at the Australian Open. So Faxon in 1993... And then Jordan Spieth in 2014 and 2016, the only Americans to have won it in the last 30 years. That was good fun. The last listener standing quiz is done for another week. Uh, now, Rob's taken home the Signet Boost Power Bank, so the Golf Box prize pack is still up for grabs. And I'll give that today to our best caller on 1300-01-1170. you got to be in it to win it. We'll take a break. We'll be back right after this right here on SEN, your home of sport. Now, a couple of things out of the quiz. John from Everton Park says, I think that Bradman test was at the exhibition ground, not the Gabba, is my memory playing tricks on me. No, I think you're right. Um, and once I saw Brisbane, I said Gabba. So that's that's my bad on that one. Paramat says, thanks for this, mate. Thanks for going back over the correct answers at the end of the quiz. When a caller gives the wrong answer, you repeat that answer. But when the caller gives the correct answer, you just say yes. If the line's bad or they mumble, the answer we listeners um, miss at the time, so just a picky suggestion, but if you can repeat their correct answer, that'll help us. <laughs> Got you. I don't mind suggestions at all. Don't mind corrections or suggestions at all. Crime Scene says, I'm pretty sure the person you gave the MCG answer as correct to actually said SCG. I thought I heard MCG. Anyway, either way, it was Melbourne. Um, Matty, enjoyed the interview with Dan Herbert. He's very circumspect and measured. At least he's looking forward and not blaming others. Needless to say, time will tell if he can pull it off. Hope so. Rugby Rod from Orchard Hills. Thank you for that, Rugby Rod. Uh, another one says, just out of curiosity, this is from our man Crime Scene, have there been any positive texts on the Daniel Herbert interview? Well, there was one. Did he sell the belief in the future to anyone? And you also said that he left you unimpressed. The problems he talk about he talks about, such as parochial nature of the people involved in rugby, are not just Australian issues. So to blame that is just more union gobbledygook. Maddie, this one from Azza. RA is a joke. Sack a coach who they said wouldn't win them the World Cup and replace him with a coach who they said uh, their World Cup was just to set them up for the following one. Being competitive with France and Ireland didn't mean anything. Am I missing something? Not really, Azza. I think you've reflected the situation that rugby in Australia and Rugby Australia have been in and what they were trying with the Eddie Jones experiment. It, it dawned on me halfway through that whole thing that the only way, and I said it on this program, the only way to put it was that the Eddie Jones thing was an experiment and they ended up with an Eddie Jones predicament. What to do next? Now, we all know how that played out, but it, it's got to go down as a great Hail Mary passed, doesn't it? They were hoping to get something out of it. And if it had have worked, they all would have looked like geniuses. It didn't come anywhere close to working for a number of reasons. And whilst we've consistently picked it apart and criticised and wondered what happens next and tried to figure out how the game gets itself back up and running, I think the, the fact which, which I've said time and again is the people in rugby and in positions there know that as well. We're not telling them anything they don't know. But I, I'm sure that they didn't 
they didn't know at the time what the way out of it was. And they thought perhaps that that could solve all of the problems. In fact, it could have papered over all the cracks. So they're in that situation now and at some stage there's got to be a reset. And now we've got a new chairman and perhaps a new direction. That full interview with Daniel Herbert is available on our podcast platform. You'll remember that when Hamish McLennan was chairman, we had him on this program as well. When he appointed Eddie Jones, we spoke to him about that as well. So we followed this story the whole way through. What's next? They've got to get their house in order. It's just as simple as that because it's an absolute mess at the moment. They know that. So they've got to get the house in order. The high-performance director will lead to what happens with the coach, which will set the standard from the very top down through the Wallabies. And as we know at the moment, the way the game is, unless the Wallabies are performing, the whole thing is a house of cards. Now it's over to them to do that. Adam says, I like that Daniel Herbert isn't making all at all fairy dust and unicorns. It's a long road back and it's acknowledging where they are, which is bottom of the barrel, and it's going to be one step at a time. I think that's a very pragmatic approach, Adam. I think that's a really good way to look at it. Uh, knows the job in front of him. Yeah, just a question from Matt there about how do the two golf courses work? How does that work out at the Australian Open? Essentially, they mix it up, and then they end up at the Oz for the back end of it. Uh, the truth will be, says Andrew, that four teams going to Vegas won't send any players. This is to go over there and sell the NRL beforehand. Won't send any players that will be in the starting 17 for those matches, round zero as we're calling it. You wouldn't want them missing that amount of training with the squad. Yep, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Round zero is, I don't like that term. It's round one. <laughs> it's round one. There's two competition points involved in this. I mean, it's just, you know, getting a little bit finicky there. But if there weren't any points involved, then I'd be happy to call it round zero. But it's the first two games of the season. Um, Matty, I'd send Hargroves, include a Kiwi. The big tough ball can play a villain role, says the trot man. Uh, some other ones here around some of the other situations where we were talking about Wayne Bennett's move um, with Val Tafare to say you're not fit enough, you shouldn't be here. Turn around and go back. So I don't mind it at all and I've got no problems with a coach saying you're not up to the standard that we need a pre-season training, so go off until you get to that standard. Um, it's not a popular thing to say these days and it must be hard for coaches to continue to do it, but Wayne Bennett's done it before and I dare say he'll do it again. We will catch up with Larry Canning in our uh, next break after the news. So Larry will give us an Australian Open update. He was there for the Australian PGA, of course. A lot of focus on Cameron Smith in this one. We, we know what happened at Royal Queensland. He's been very open about it and now he has the chance to turn it around. What does that look like for Cam Smith, does it does it mean that he has to win this to get back? He'll want to get his game back to where it needs to be. And he'll want to make sure, first and foremost, that he's there on the weekend because he did feel as though he let a lot of people down. He has just bogeyed the third hole, so he is at minus one for the day. A couple of birdies on his first nine, which is the back nine at the Lakes, and then a birdie to start the front nine. 
but now bogey at the par uh, three third hole. So sorry, par four third hole. So he's bogeyed that, and here's one under the card through those holes at the lakes. The leader at the moment is Cameron Davis at minus six. Thanks to the golf space in Alexandria, Sydney's brand new number one driving range, and we'll catch up with Larry Canning soon. Thank you, Vanessa. Rightio, let's uh, get a feel of what's happening out at the Australian Open wherever you are watching this. Are you at the lakes watching it? Are you keeping your eye on the women's, uh, keeping your eye on the men's, keeping an eye on the all abilities as well? This is one of the great parts of the Oz Open. Will we find Larry Canning at the Australian this morning. So you've bunkered down at the Oz, mate. Good morning to you. How's the, the first morning of play been out there? G'day, Maddie. I am bunkered down at the Oz. Really nice party pots here. Apparently better than the ones at the lake, so I'm staying here really? this week. Um, but, yeah, apparently that's, that's about that's about the all we get these days is party pies. And if you get sauce, you need to get there really quickly to get some sauce. Um, but, look, yeah, the, the, weather's, the weather's perfect, Matt. Um, scores are showing that. They're putting on conditions. And, the, and all the rain we've had on both, the, obviously, the lakes and the Australian, the scores are crazy. Like, particularly the lakes. And I think we'll see that over the next two days. The lakes will be the course where they'll go super low. Um, Cam Davis already um, a consistent performance last week. Ran seventh behind Min Lee, a runaway winner. Is, uh, has turned in six under 31, played the back nine first at the Lakes, parred the first, so he's still six under through 10 holes. That's a, some sort of round he's got going. Uh, I mentioned Min Woo Lee there, the winner from last week. A lot of attention on Min Woo Lee uh, and his, his group, which consists of Cameron Smith and Rikuyu Hashino, Maddie Cam Smith, of course, for different reasons. I mean, Min Woo was a runaway winner last week, absolutely belted the living daylights out of rural Queensland, 20 under par. And, of course, Cam Smith got belted. The opposite was on the wrong side of that. Um, it not only missed the cut, but Cam Mendeley did last, the poor guy. And we felt we all felt for him as he walked off that final green and out of the scorer's tent on Friday. But he seems to have got himself back in order. He's a couple under uh, through 12 holes. In fact, he's just dropped the his 12th hole. So he's back to one under par. But that's a lot better than, than we were seeing him last week. So he's clearly got some game back, and it's great to see a terrific kid still playing as well as he, as he can. I was just talking about that as I was following his score there. What, what's your take on what is a turnaround for Cameron Smith? I know it sounds weird to say that, you know, for somebody of, of his stature in the game, but he leaves Royal Queensland, as you say, there in tears. He, he obviously goes to win everything and nothing went right that weekend. You can have them, but he also knows... His, his place in Australian golf at the moment. So what's a successful yes. weekend and a successful turnaround here? You've got to reckon, mate, just as a player, he wants to get his game back on track. But then as a draw card, he wants to make sure that he's there for the weekend. And then anything else that happens after that's a positive. Would that be the, the viewpoint, you reckon? Oh, yeah, yeah. Totally agree, mate. Yeah, making the cut is step number one. Um, if we was to miss the cut here, it would be, um, it'd be a horrific story for him. Uh, look, the, the, he's such a. He was. I, I couldn't believe. And I said this to you last week, Matt. I, I couldn't believe the emotion in the in that kid's eyes as he came off that that 18th green on Friday. I, I was, you know, as I said, he, he's won a British Open. He has, you know, he's had hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank, missing the cut in the tournament. Okay, I'll play well next week. But the, I've never seen emotion like that purely based on what he how he'd let everyone else down. Nothing to do with how it was affecting him and how he wasn't going to win a check or something, but 
it was just all about how much Australia meant to him and how he'd let the Australian golf fans and sports fans down, particularly Queensland. Um, it was extraordinary. And, and look, you know, as I said last week, if you didn't love the kid before that, you know, he's he's my favourite all-time sportsman now. Um, so look, the, the the country's on his back to, to to play well when it comes to Australia, but but I think he's on his own back more more than that himself. So yeah, you know, just got to, You know, would really hope that he's, he's got through that. He, he's obviously got access to sports psychologists and has a great coach in Grantfield um, who can fix his if there's a mechanical issue. Um, so I assume he's okay. Um, and yeah, like you said, if he makes the cut, great. If he features, even better. A win would be a miracle. Mm. Yeah, it'd be huge too. It'd be a great story. What about the women's side? Um, we've got Sukapan Butsabokorn at three under the card at the moment. So she's playing at the Australian and then Gabriella Ruffles at two under with about three or four others who are mixed between the Australian yep. and the Lakes. Um, so interesting to keep score of all there. And then a lot of focus, obviously, again, on Minji Lee. Um, and she's at plus one at the moment through 11 of her holes. Yeah, the group after Min Wu, in fact, at the Lakes. Um, I'm yeah. glad you met, I mean, glad you mentioned that, that leader's name before I had to try and say it. <laughs> but Thailand, uh, Thai, Thai golfers have some bizarre names. And there's a, and there's a, there's a young kid down. I think she's running. Um, if she makes the cut, all radio commentators will be running for the hills. Uh, and I'm not even going to try and say it. It's Shaman. And oh, I can 18 see it. letters. 18 a pong, we'll call it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they all end in Pong, so 18 a Pong, we'll call Shimon. Um, and she's probably a lovely kid, and I apologise, but uh, it, 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 gets, it, it is a terrifying experience when you see some of the Thai, Thai people come and play. Um, because you've got to say their names, so because they're terrifying, they're lovely people. Um, yeah, yeah. Did I get myself off the hook there, Matt? Did I, how did I, get I think so. I think so. I knew where you were heading, mate. I, I knew where you were going. Actually, just, I can just, I just... I just... Sorry, I just want to throw a question at you. Just We should have done this at the very start, and I, and I explained it, but I'll get your explanation. When you've got the Australian and the Lakes in play, ha- I had a couple of questions from my listeners. How does all this work? So they're all out there together, obviously, but you play the Australian today, you play the Lakes tomorrow, and vice versa, and then we narrow it down once the cut is made to the one course on Saturday and Sunday, which is where you're at. Correct, yes. It'll be uh, top 65 men and I think it's top 40 women. I think it's... I'm not sure about the women's cut. It's definitely less than 65, obviously, because there's only 84 in the field. 156 men and 84 women in total. Yeah. Um, it, it, the 84 women's because of the, the scheduling, Matt. I mean, they're playing for $1.7 million, which is a great purse for women's golf. But because the scheduling is so bizarre for, for, the, for the key players, and they've They've got the LPGA have a tournament on the same week, and as do the European Tour have a tournament on the same week in Europe. So that's why we're only getting 84 women, which is kind of sad. But um, we still, but the the bulk of the field is brilliant. I mean, they're, they're seriously good players. It's, you know, Minji Lee, Hannah Green, two major champions in the field. Grace Kim, Steffi Kiriakou, um, Ashley Duhai, last year's Australian Open champion. So it's a great field, but it's just it's just uh, um, unusual and kind of disappointing that we can't get you know, a full 156 field for, for, for a tournament that is worth $1.7 million, which has a national title on it. Yeah, absolutely. And then later on this afternoon, um, gee, talk about a pairing. There are five trophies, two, three, four trophies, I should say, in the group that will get underway 
at midday your time, which is yes. Adrian Moronk, the defending champ, Adam Scott, the 09 champ, and two-time champ, Matt Jones as well. So that's a, a fair old group to follow. And then behind them will be Aaron Baddeley and Lucas Herbert as well. So I reckon there'll be some really good support yep. in the, uh, the back end of the afternoon out at the Oz. Well, particularly Matt Jones. I mean, doesn't he slip under the radar? I mean, how good is the play? How good is the guy play? Have you seen him play, Matt? He's a oh yeah, absolute lusher of the golf ball. Beautiful golf swing, and just slips under the radar, and suddenly there he is in the feature group, two-time Australian Open champion at this very golf course. Um, so you'd have to see he's up with, with the favourites. Don't underestimate how good that guy is. And there's another guy, uh, Nick Nick Hardy, an American who's coached by the same person that coaches Matt Jones, Gary Barter. He is the coach, head coach out of the Australian Golf Club. So there's a guy called Nick Hardy. Keep an eye on him. He will have all that knowledge of Gary, and he would have had a practice round with Matt. He'll be pleased. Well, he's a, he's a um, an American PJ Tour winner this year. So keep an eye on Nick Hardy. Just a little slippery one. If you have a bet on him and, and oh. um, gamble responsibly, um, I, I wouldn't mind a commission if, if you can find that. <laughs> I'll send bank details, Matt. <laughs> We've got to make sure we can buy you some sauce out there for your party pies. Good on you, Larry. Uh, thanks, yeah. mate. Enjoy. Yeah. Good on you, buddy. In, enjoy, and we'll check in. Larry Canning joining us there. So he's at the Australian. Uh, they're playing at the Oz and at the Lake. So Cameron Davis continues to lead the way. Hayden Hopewell has moved up into a uh, outright second at the moment with five under. He's at the Lakes as well. So he started on the front nine, and it's been blemish-free for him. In fact, he's just turned and bo- uh, birdied the 10th hole as well. So four birdies on the front nine at the Lakes, and then number five came with his first hole on the start of the second nine. Meanwhile, Cameron Davis has gone par-par as he hits the turn as well, and he leads at six under the card. A golf update there. We will continue to keep that throughout the morning. Don't forget, in about 20 minutes' time, there'll be an announcement from New South Wales Rugby League about the next state of origin coach. It will be Michael Maguire. So they'll make that announcement official, and Michael Maguire should be speaking to the media. We'll take you there as soon as that happens. Welcome back. A text uh, from Rooster Muzz about the netball situation. Now, we ran through what uh, Liz Ellis had to say just the other day when they completely and utterly bumbled the um, bungled, I should say, the netball awards and essentially forgot to invite the person whose main award is named after, as in Liz Ellis. They did it, but they sent her the email on the day that the RSVPs were due back and uh, she couldn't be there. And then, not only that, all the drama around the pay dispute, Rooster Mars says um, the way that they treated the fantastic, extremely generous Australian Gina Reinhardt. Netball Australia deserves every bit of bad karma that comes their pathetic way. They've lost me forever. So that's one take, and that's your take on it. And um, the situation at the moment is a bit of a roadblock. In fact, it's it's hit another one. What happened was Netball Australia yesterday put out a proposal which included an 11% pay rise and back pay too from October 1. So remember the netball players haven't been paid um, since then. Netball Australia invited them, the Players Association, to a meeting about further potential concessions for a revenue-shared model. And the Australian Netball Players Association, the ANPA, rejected the interim deal. So it's it's essentially back to the drawing board. Where's the... Re- this is from... 
the ANPA president, Joe Weston, Diamonds Defender. Where's the revenue share component that the players are being asking for? Only 11% increase to the minimum wage, not the entire salary cap. And Liz Ellis had this to say on the project last night, former Australian captain. But I think the thing is, the players threatened to boycott and that's when a, and a legal letter was sent to the players threatening them with legal action if they didn't turn up. And that's wow. when things got really nasty. I just think from an ex-player's point of view, the governing body shouldn't send letters like that to its current players who are world champions, who've done everything they've been asked to this year. I find this media release that's come out this afternoon with this offer to say, look, we're going to back pay the players, we're going to give them almost everything they want. It's a little bit offensive because the players' biggest... Uh, bargaining chip is not turning up to work and Netball Australia is saying you release that bargaining chip and you go back to work and we're going to give you almost everything we want and the stuff that's really sticky will work it out later. Mm. The players are standing strong and saying actually no we want to talk about this revenue share model this partnership model and the players are really serious about being custodians of the game. They're not going to send the game broke. They're asking for a partnership model and that's where the sticking point is. My only concern now is that the relationship is so poisoned between the two mm. parties that we may not end up with any sort of meaningful agreement in the near future. What happens then? Yeah. Look, I, I don't know. And I, I'm wondering if a third party, if the government, if the federal government perhaps has to step in and say, you can't run the sport. Lizzie Ellis there last night. So that's the scenario that they're in at the moment. We'll be joined in our next hour by Emma Greenwood from Code Sports uh, across this story and see where it's all at because as we followed the Rugby League Players Association battle with the NRL throughout the course of the year, we, we understand everything that Liz is just saying there. And there are always two sides to every story. So what happened at the awards night and all that kind of stuff, I agree with Liz. They shouldn't be sending legal letters out there demanding that their Diamonds players come and attend and also stuffing it royally with somebody like Liz in the first place. So that's a big mistake. And they're going to have to move on from that. Now, in the nitty-gritty of how they get this deal done, there'll be pushback. There'll be stuff that they'll say, we're, we're digging firm, we're, we're standing firm on, and you know we're going to dig our heels in. There's a pay offer at play. There's a revenue share model at play. And you want to be partners in the game. So the revenue share model seems to be one of the big sticking points here and we'll speak to Emma about all that but perhaps there's one part there that Netball Australia clearly don't want to give away and let's hope that the players understand what that really means because you want to become partners in the game you have to be a partner in that game you can't just say it do it and then move on next time there's a bit of a bit of a Barney step away you're all in once that deal's done and then there's the pay dispute as well, like I mentioned. So they've offered an increase over the three-year term of 23%, and minimum salaries will rise to $46,500, the average salary to $86,500 over the term of the CPA. So an increase in the minimum base salary of 10% next year and then annual increases of 3% the year after. So... Netball Australia is clearly at loggerheads with the Australian Netball Players Association. Where does it lead to? Who runs the game if they can't break anything, as in break anything open in this in this standoff? It's all still ahead of us. So too is the New South Wales Rugby League's announcement about their next coach. So we should hear from Michael Maguire in the coming 
10 or 15 minutes. I'll keep you across what's happening in Sheffield Shield as well because uh, those three openers who were in the frame post-David Warner um, are all playing at the moment and all having various degrees of success. Quite some interesting games going on at the SCG, at the Gabba, and down in Adelaide as well. Usman Kawaja, by the way, 102 not out for Queensland as they declared for 274 against WA. That's his 41st first-class century. And Matt Renshaw with 37 in that first innings. Back after this. New South Wales Rugby League at the centre of excellence. They are um, starting to make the official announcement around Michael Maguire. So once Madge steps up, and by the way, he'll be joined, or Jimmy Smith will be joined by Madge later on this afternoon in depth. So Michael Maguire will be addressing the press conference that they're holding at the moment and we'll take you there as soon as he steps up towards the microphone. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line number or 0457 736 736 is my text line number. If you missed it this morning, Daniel Herbert, the new chairman of Rugby Australia, had a two-part interview with him. It's the extended version is on our podcast platform where we covered a whole range of the issues in front of Rugby Australia and in front of the new chairman, including, of course, where they're at in terms of the coaching search for the new Wallabies coach. Here's Dan Herbert earlier this morning. You know, if we put down purely a coach, it's, it's the wrong way of looking at it. Um, that's not scouting that they have to be really, you know, we have to choose a really good person to come in and they're going to be an important leader for the players and the staff. But, you know, it's not going to change unless we can change the system and the alignment of the Super Rugby clubs with the national team. So um, in terms of where we're at, we've been uh, running the process now for a couple of months. It uh, We deliberately kept it open uh, after the World Cup because we knew that there's a lot of people who just didn't want to talk to you in the lead up to a World Cup. You know, they were focused on their own, their own team. So we waited until after that and, uh, but we're, we're very well advanced and we'd like to think that there'd be a, be a decision in the coming weeks or an announcement in the coming weeks. So announcement in the coming weeks there, but it won't happen until a high performance director is locked in first because the Wallabies coaching job won't be rubber stamped until the high performance director decides that he or she is the right person for the job. So just a taste of what Daniel Herbert had to tell us this morning. Now, what about rugby league and Jerome Luai? So we know that the, like we always say here, the shop front window, he's in it. And the West Tigers have given their pitch. The Canterbury Bulldog, Bankstown Bulldogs are now in the mix as well, officially met with Phil Gould. This morning on SEN 11.70am in Sydney, Brandy and Vossi, will Greg Alexander address these rumours about an immediate transfer if it was Jerome Luai to the Tigers that they could take him early? Remember, he's contracted with the Panthers for next year. So this is what Brandy had to say about all that. That story, and I did read, I read it all, and and apparently it was a, a proposal by the Panthers to make it happen. That was the story. Again, it was completely made up. It's just a a made-up story. (laughs) And by the way, we're not going to release him early. So, um, Brandy just telling it like it is. Remember remember with Matt Burton, they did exactly the same thing, but that, that that was... um, got to the stage where it was, you know, approached and all that kind of stuff. There were there were approaches made and they just did not want to do that. But before they even get to that stage, Brandy's just shut it down saying it's completely made up. Emma Greenwood will join us. So let's continue this 
discussion around the situation in netball at the moment in Australia. Kelly Ryan is the CEO of Netball Australia. She's spoken to Jared Waitley this morning. You've heard from Liz Ellis. We'll get the latest from Emma Greenwood from Code Sports in just a few minutes. But Kelly Ryan is uh, has also spoken this morning. Before that, however, Michael Maguire is addressing the media. Let's take you straight there. Uh, growing up, dreaming of you know, wanting to play for New South Wales. Uh, you know, obviously uh, the career was cut a little bit short, so I, uh, I went the coaching route. Um, and I've been very fortunate to um, cross paths with many of great coaches and help me along the way to... Uh, you know, find the success across, uh, I guess, my coaching career. But, uh, you know, I, I find, you know, just the opportunity to, to think that I'm actually coaching New South Wales, I am pinching myself. Um, you know, I've been able to coach at many different levels and, uh, you know, I've dreamed of obviously, uh, you know, doing this for New South Wales. So uh, to have the opportunity, um, especially with the, the past coaches, um, obviously uh, understand the ride of what it takes. And I've spoke to many of the, uh, the previous coaches, players and uh, current players. So uh, getting a real feel for... Um, how they feel about it, and also to uh, people within the organisation. So, uh, I'm a big believer of um, that that jersey, the blue jersey, is everything. You know, it's um, that's where I'm going to base everything from. Um, to uh, you know, whoever's involved, we all play a part. It's not about an individual, and I'd like to um, probably you could see that from the people that I brought in uh, with my staff, uh, Trotto and myself. You know, we spent a fair bit of time talking about. You know, what can we create around the team uh, that allows them to be their best? And uh, I am very appreciative of those uh, the staff members that have joined me. Um, you know, I've got a pass with all of them. Um, Cardi, I've obviously known uh, just as a uh, as a coach across the game. Um, you know, and I've got a high respect for him, and he's got a, such a good, great connection with uh, the old boys. I think that's going to be a real key because um, I'm a big believer that the old boys, every time that uh, they see that jersey run out the field, they're going to have a feeling of. Uh, you know, the joys and the rides of what goes on and, um, you know, to Matty King and Brady Watt, you know, I've been fortunate to have a, a bit of time with those boys at Melbourne Storm and Kingy followed me across to South and uh, was on my staff uh, when we uh, were fortunate to have the successes there at South uh, in 2014. Um, so, I, you know, I've got some great people and Frankie Panisi, um, you know, he came down to Melbourne in 2005 when I was down there as an assistant coach and forged a great friendship uh, in those early days, but to see him go on and do the great things that he's done with uh, that club down there and uh, go on the ride of what it takes to, to find success. So, uh, And all the way to uh, another Sean Edwards. Um, you, know, he's, um, you know, he's been in a number of teams, but uh, he knows how to connect with players. And, uh, you know, he's, um, you know he, he likes just to find the right performances or, or the ability to allow a player to express themselves within what they're doing. So I guess I've got a, a great experience amongst uh, the staff, which I'm looking forward to... Um, you know, uh, letting loose with the players in time, but we'll get together and spend a fair bit of time talking about the camps and how we'll go about that. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that I can talk to, uh, you know, past coaches like Ricky, Laurie, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll connect with Freddie at some stage, you know, uh, so I've got high respect for a lot of those uh, people that, you know, we all want to have the state succeed, and I know they do, and, and, and I do just as much. So um, uh, really looking forward to what's ahead, and uh, I actually can't wait. So the biggest bit of advice... Former police coaches for you. <clears throat> oh, I wouldn't say it's advice. It's just the discussions about the the little parts of what it takes. You know, um, you know, well, I did actually have some conversations recently with them, and they said, "Madge, it's uh, it's massive. This arena is massive, and they said, you'll feel it in time." Um, but I already know that. You know, I've been fortunate to be around a number of the players that have been a part of Origin teams, and you know, they describe it and talk about it. But uh, you know, I've been obviously in the uh, international space now, so. Uh, one thing I do know about this space is it comes down to one play. 
it could be one player's the differences of uh, what box and rolls are going. Um, so, yeah, what we do and create as a group, the players, we all play a part. Uh, when I spoke about before about the blue jersey being everything, like we are all here to make that jersey successful and it doesn't matter whether or not you're a player, administrator, uh, staff, uh, people here in the building, um, everyone in the state. You know, um, it's everyone out in the country, rugby league. They're all watching uh, and how we can make them feel connected is by our performance. And, uh, you know, if we can deliver the best uh, arena for our players to perform at the best, well, we've, we've got some of the best players in the world. We've got all the best players in the world that sit within New South Wales team. So, uh, you know, if we can give that uh, the players the ability to be able to have the right environment, there's no reasons why it, um, we uh, can start well and off we go. How do you juggle this with your uh, That's going to be quite a reduced sort of role. I'll just be talking to Ricky now. Um, so, yeah, my main focus really will be about uh, the Blues now. Yeah. Uh, well, look, unfortunately, things don't always work out the way you'd like. Um, yeah, I still feel that I, I could have juggled both. Obviously, you know, they're campaigns. Um, it's just understanding that. But uh, look, I respect uh, you know people's uh, thoughts. And uh, one thing I do know is when you're you're working in a campaign, everyone's got to be aligned. Um, and look, you know, their, their thoughts are in a different direction. So uh, you know, I, I respected that. Um, and obviously, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate now that I can go on with the Blues. Thank you. One of the great missions for the Rabbitohs, but how, how much has um, what you've done with New Zealand or the time you've been with New Zealand come to be here for what rising energy? Oh, Brad, that's massive. I mean, uh, you know, that, I've been with the, the Kiwis there, obviously, for about five, six years now, and uh, the connection that you have with players, that's the, the enjoyment part that I really get out of. You know, it's players, families, you know, who, who lives outside their, their space. Um, yeah, you know, and then being able to bring a group of uh, players from all different clubs together in a short period of time, uh, I've really enjoyed that part of you know the experiences I've had with the international space, and obviously going to bring that wealth of knowledge now to um, you know, what we're doing moving forward. Uh, and look, yeah, you know, I'll spend a lot of time going out and talking to players. Uh, you know, they're they're the key. You know, and uh, the buy-in and that alignment that I spoke about is. Um, critical for the success of where we're going. And, uh, yeah, that's obviously what I learnt uh, from my time with the international space. I think when, too, when you took the Kiwis over, they were in 2018, they were like a, a, pre, a pretty low spot. Yeah. Obviously, the past games, we were looking over the kangaroos. I imagine that's the type of position you're hoping to achieve here. Yeah, well, that's, that's why I do it, Brad. You know, it's to, to create that. And one thing I, you know, I want to make sure is that you know, we want to win. That's That's ultimately why you do it. You know, that's... That's the key. Um, but to be able to build a foundation and have the staff that we've got, the organisation behind us, um, you know, if we create that, then the players come into the right environment to be able to find their headspace to be able to go and be at their best. Uh, you know, and I always say, yeah, when you've got the best players, you, know, you, you just want to create the environment for those, uh, those men to go out. And really, they don't have to think. They just go and do what they're very capable of doing. Uh, and that's the environment that we're chasing. Mate, we know what style of coach you are and you have been. Do you think you'll change your style given Origin is obviously a condensed period of the season? Yeah, uh, Bulldog, you've um, probably uh, spoken about me in many different ways uh, you know, on how I am as a coach, and I get that. Um, you know, but coaching club land to international and Origin, is, uh, it is different. Uh, they're, they're different beasts. They're different um, machines that move. Uh, Looking, you know, obviously, you know, when you're coaching week to week in club land, you, you, you're pulling and prodding different um, ways of moving forward, uh, whereas when you've got the capabilities of the players that you have and what I found in international, look, they're, they're the ones that uh, will find their way. Uh, we just create the right environment. So uh, 
I guess in some ways, Bulldog, you, you probably laugh at me saying this, but I'm probably a little bit more relaxed in uh, this space because you, you're trying to get players of all ages when you're in club land um, and different abilities, whereas when you walk into this arena, you've got the best of the best and, uh, you know, allowing those players to express themselves is the key. I touched on him earlier. When you say best of the best, but Frank Vanessi, can you just talk about how important he is and what he yeah. can actually bring to this role? Uh, Frankie's enormous. Uh, I, as I said, I, you know, I was fortunate when he first started down there, and uh, I guess everyone's seen the journey that that club's been on, and he just brings a, a wealth of knowledge, but just a calmness around how he goes about what he does. Uh, and yeah, that's one thing I, I do know is that yeah, you've got to, it's the people, the people, the team that around, you have around you is the capabilities of where we'll go. And having someone of Frankie's um, nature of being able to be at many grand finals and knows the game, he knows grassroots, he knows everything. Uh, so we can have a great discussions about you know how we can reach. Uh, so the country regions, even though we're internally in camps, and he's come up with a few different ideas, which I won't share at the moment, about uh, various things that we've got planned to, to be able to make sure that you know, everyone can feel that they're on the journey of what we're about um, because it's a momentum that you have in that stand. Uh, you know, I've just obviously walked around here and talked about the tunnel, uh, you know, where the players can walk through out into the, into the calder and they're, uh, you know, they're going to be special moments. And obviously someone like Frank, who's experienced uh, pretty well everything across the game, um, he, when I asked him about the um, the Origin Arena, it's, he said it's one thing that I haven't done, Madge. I'm, I'd, be, I'd love to. You know, he just jumped at it straight away, along with all the other staff. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're that excited about. Obviously, yeah, you, when you start, you, we've got a fresh start. You know, and um, everyone now has the ability to to, to realign in. And you know, obviously, got to paint a, a vision of where we want to go. But one thing I do know, everyone needs to buy in, and you know, Frankie's one that understands it. Pretty good. All right, that is the new head coach of the New South Wales Blues. And Michael Maguire there addressing the media. Our thanks to Fox Sports News for that one. So um, some interesting takeouts. And they're a reduced role at the Canberra Raiders. So we just talked to Ricky now. Um, thought that he could have juggled both the Kiwis jobs, uh, job and the New South Wales job. But he's pinching himself that he's now the Blues state of origin coach. And when asked to describe it, it's massive. And also pointed that there is quite often one play that's the difference. Michael Maguire will be on Jimmy Smith's show later on this afternoon. So, of course, Jimmy coming up at midday. So make sure you stay tuned for that one. The high-performance team includes John Cartwright from the Broncos, Matt King from the Roosters, Brett White is at the Titans, all the premiership-winning players. A lot of chat there at the back end about Frank Panisi, the Melbourne Storm's football manager. Very, very highly respected, highly regarded, and Origin's one thing that he hasn't done yet. Andrew Gray will be the physical performance manager and Sean Edwards' strength and conditioning. So Michael Maguire, that new era, is about to start. 303 first-grade games. Of course, he won the NRL Premiership at the Rabbitohs in 2014. Also won the Super League title, the Challenge Cup. He's coached at Wigan as well. South Sydney for five years, the West Tigers as well, and more recently New Zealand to a huge win over Australia. And now the next job begins for Madge as Blues coach. Righto, so it's all now official. You know the team behind and you know what Michael Maguire is thinking, part of what he's thinking. New South Wales fans, are you happy with what you're seeing and hearing? Queensland fans, does this make any difference to you? <laughs> Do you want to buy into that? 1300 01 1170. 
Are you worried about the Blues now? They've got somebody else in charge. It's always interesting when there's a change in the winds. And it's already happened. So let me know your thoughts on that. 0457 736 736. Or give me a call this morning. 1300 01 1170. Welcome back. Your thoughts coming through on Michael Maguire's official now appointment as New South Wales State of Origin coach. We'll get to those 0457 736 736. But now let's go back to this netball issue that we've been following. I'm pleased to say Emma Greenwood from Code Sports is on the line. Emma, thanks for your time this morning. This is a moving beast, isn't it? So where are we at in the standoff between <laughs> Netball Australia and the Australian Netball Players Association? Any movement? Hey, Matt. Well, isn't it just an absolute... Jeez, uh, I'm trying to think of a polite word, actually, to <laughs> say what a mess we're in here. But, um, look, uh, the Australian Netball Players Association has just held a, uh, a media call this morning well, basically, they've rejected Netball Australia's um, offer from yesterday. They pretty much called it a publicity stunt. They said Netball Australia could have just paid the players nine weeks ago if that's what they wanted to do. And they have resolved uh, in a meeting at which every player agreed to these resolutions, they actually put forward 21 resolutions um, that they made public this morning, um, where they've basically rejected Netball Australia's deal. They are going back to the negotiation negoti- negotiating table tomorrow with the full intent of getting a deal done, but that must include, they believe, this revenue share partnership. Um, they don't want to do, do a part deal. They actually had put on the table a deal to just continue payments until January, until they could get a deal done properly. Netball Australia rejected that. They say, and so they believe what Netball Australia did yesterday was a full publicity stunt. But among these resolutions, uh, they're really quite strong. I mean, it started off with the Australian Netballers unanimously expressed our love for the sport of netball um, and went on. So a, a few that uh, obviously are very important to the players, but in, in terms of these uh, negotiations, um, they have... Uh, decried Netball Australia's legal threats to players, their CEO, Kath Harvey-Williams, a former Diamonds captain, and Ian Prendergast, who uh, has been advising them on the revenue share model. They have resolved to remain united and determined in the pursuit of a revenue share partnership. They have directed AMPA to pursue monetising of player IP so that players can generate income. And they've resolved to meet again, and this is quite important, to determine if the players have confidence in Netball Australia. So mm. I think we're really getting to a pointy end here where we did have Liz Ellis uh, last night say, can these two parties actually come together and make some sort of agreement because there seems to be such a standoff, but where the players are actually saying, look, if we can't reach some sort of agreement here, do we come together again to determine whether we do have confidence in the direction of Netball Australia as a sport? Mm, which is sounds as though that's the way that it's that it's heading more than likely. I mean, if you if you're gonna if you're gonna choose one road at the moment, the way that it's going, 
it appears as though it's going to go that way unless somehow Netball Australia can get it to swing the other way and turn left instead of turning right because it seems to me, Emma, that everything that... And I'm not picking sides at all here, but everything that Netball Australia is doing at the moment, the legal threats... This, the huge kerfuffle and absolute disrespect that they showed Liz Ellis at the awards night and leading into it. And now by what the statement that they put out yesterday, which has been slapped down as a publicity stunt, it, it, it almost seems to me as though Netball Australia can't do any more to get their players offside. Now, that wouldn't be the option. That's not what they're trying to do, but that appears what the outcome has been. Absolutely. I think that you're absolutely right there. It, it really seems like uh, there's such a determination not to negotiate. That's certainly AMPA's point of view, that AMPA believes that they, in, in representing the players, have bent over backwards to do everything they can. And Captain Harvey Williams, their CEO today, described, I guess, the starting point of the revenue share. She said that, you know, when we when we started off at the table, we wanted a share of, of ticketing, merchandise, other revenues. And these are deals that are relatively commonplace in other other sports and other entertainment venue um, ventures, rather. Um, they've moved totally away from that. What they are asking for is a percentage of above budgeted revenue. So they're not saying... Every, all the money that comes into Netball Australia, they understand that there are different levels to the sport, not just Super Netball competition. They want above budgeted revenue for Super Netball and they understand that as partners in the game and they want a true partnership, they have to help provide that. And they, in this statement, they also directed comments to sponsors because... You know, there have been comments here about how would you feel if you're a sponsor of netball at the moment? Would you walk away at the end of the deal? Are you really getting what you want? And is this real friction between players and governing body going to put you off? So the players directed comments to the sponsors this morning saying we absolutely, um, you know, value sponsors. We, um, you know, we want to do our absolute best for you to get your value for money and we very much value your contribution to the sport as a whole. Yeah, it's a standoff, all right. Um, so we'll see what plays out tomorrow. So <laughs> watch this space because we don't know where this one's going to end at the moment, but it's a real mess. You're right. It's hard to find the, the polite word for it, as you said at the very start. Um, time's beaten us. <laughs> We've got to go to the news, Emma. I appreciate that. Uh, thanks so much for all of that information. No worries. Thanks, Matty. Emma Greenwood there. Um, Right across that story, so percentage of above budgeted revenue as part of that revenue share proposal. That was, I'm so glad that Emma gave us the insight into that because that's a percentage essentially of profit above the line that they're looking for there, and that's part of the sticking point. There's there are a lot more, but that seems to be the big one. And you wonder why you would put out a statement saying this is our pay deal and this is what we're going to offer you and these are all the things but not include the one thing that they're trying to get above anything else so it's back to the table they go let's go to the SEN newsroom 0457 736 736 is my text line number
Thank you, Vanessa. I'll get to your thoughts on the text line in just a second. As always, at this time, this uh, stage of the week, we like it to be wine time, thanks to Ponting Wines. And you can use the code SEN for free delivery on all orders from pontingwines.com.au. Ben Riggs is on the line. Good morning, Ben. We're talking about the 2019 366 Shiraz Cabernet. Now, we like our numbers. So 366 is Ricky's test number as the Australian test cricketer number 366. But what about the wine itself? Is this a traditional taste that we've got here? Well, this is very much... um, When I started making wine in the 80s, we still used to use a word called claret, which was often used to describe a Shiraz Cabernet or a Cabernet Shiraz blend, often a regional blend. So you would, you would use Brossa and Hunter and McLaren Bale, for example, in, in certain blends. Um, and the word claret was actually what the English used to call Bordeaux wine. And then, of course, the French stopped us from using the word claret, um, even though it was an English term for their, <laughs> their wine. But this is very much made in that style. So it's a regional blend of McLaren Bale, Shiraz and Cinnamon Cabernet. And the intention is that it's it, it doesn't taste like either region or either variety. It's, it's, it's a delicious. Um, you, you pick the best bits out of each of the varieties and each of the regions and you blend to a certain style. And um, so far, every single one of them has done exceptionally well. We've won some really good trophies around the place and platinum um, in the Decanter Awards in England, which is the most prestigious wine award of all in the world. So it's, it's done some pretty good things for us. Absolutely. So, yeah, major awards globally there, the flagship of the Ponting wine range. So when you sit down, can you take us right back to the process? When you when you sit down to select the grapes that you need to source for a wine like this, when you're putting this together, how much work goes into that, Ben? Uh, hours and hours. Um, so... You know, we're lucky we have access to a lot of different blocks from the McLaren Vale, Barossa and Kunawara. Um, the Barossa so far has not made it into these blends. Um, um, it's always been McLaren Vale and Kunawara. And so it really comes down to the best parcels that are made in very small batches, you know, two and a half to five ton batches. They then get straight from fermentation off skin into, the, um, into barrels with probably about 30 or 40% new oak. Um, and they live their life in that barrel. We um, we sometimes pump the wine out and pump it back in again to give it some air and to, to give it some movement to help um, to get the aging process happening. But um, then it comes down to barrel selection. So it's only a small blend, but we will look at, you know, maybe there might be 50, 60 barrels of wine and we'll, we'll pick out, you know, a few of this, a few of that, two of those, and then put it together. No, not quite, and, and then just keep chipping away at, um, at, at various blends to, to sort of finesse how much oak character, how much tannin, how much perfume from the Kenora Cabernet, and its richness from the McLaren Vashara. So the small percentage of, <clears throat> excuse me, what we do, but it's uh, funny enough that the top end stuff takes the most energy. <clears throat> yeah, I could imagine. I could well and truly imagine. So the collections pack of the 366 includes three individually boxed bottles. It is the perfect gift for any wine or cricket lover for that fact. And also, I understand you've got some Christmas pack offers over the weekend on Ponting Wines uh, and the website that we direct our listeners to, which will include some Ricky Ponting signed Kookaburra cricket balls as well. So cricket lovers, wine lovers, everyone's a winner. Good on you, Ben. Thank you for that. Looking forward to our chat next week and see where that one takes us. Appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank you very much.
Ben Riggs there. So check out Ponting Wines at pontingwines.com.au and use that code SEN and you'll get free delivery on every order. Pontingwines.com.au, the Ponting 366 Shiraz Cabernet. It is a blend and it's the flagship of the Ponting Wines range. Uh, 1-300-01-1170 is our open line number. Good to hear from my man, The Bag. Are you still on the – where are you, Bag? Are you still on the oil rig out there? On the oil rig out here, Matty, yeah, just uh, – I'll be off here next Tuesday, so uh, coming to the end and looking forward to a break. Okay, good. What have you made of the news this morning about Michael Maguire? You, you're obviously tuned in there. I, I found it quite interesting. I was jotting down some notes, um, pinching myself, I thought was an interesting point, you know, given what he's done in rugby league. But one play can be the difference. That's such an origin origin thinking kind of way. Well, I call the tail end of the uh, press interview there, but uh, the thing that I like about it is the squad that he's put around him. From what I can see that, uh, you know, I'm only looking at what I see through the media. Frank Panisi, he's an A grader. Uh, John Cartwright and the others that are there in and around him. And the way that he spoke, look, I'm a Blues supporter. You talk about wine. I had a bet years ago with a Queensland supporter and I think he's had to build a cellar around the outcome of State of Origin. But uh, I reckon they're a mob that we can get behind. Yeah. Absolutely. It's been interesting. I've been interested to know, too, the thoughts of our Queensland listeners. I mean, it's it's also interesting to me to know that he's going to keep that job there at Canberra, but in a reduced role, and would love to have kept the job at the Kiwis, but also understands where their mindset is at. I reckon it gives us an insight into Madge's mindset. I mean, he's a professional coach. That's what he does, but he's also a campaign coach when he looks at it like that. So... Whilst this will take up all of his time, there's a campaign sort of feel about it already. And it, it's a new era. I mean, it's a big, big change, isn't it, mate? Well, that's where we probably differ, Matty, because, frankly, I've got no interest what the Queenslanders think about our side, and that's all the way we've got to start to think. I don't think they take too much out of uh, what we think about their sides. We've got to get uh, territorial around this, tribal, and we've got to get after them. And, and I think, as I said, I, I'm happy. I, I, look, I had a few doubts about Madge having the job, but the team that he's assembled there, that's a gang that uh, I reckon we can support. It's a fairly good team, as you point out, John Cartwright, Matt King, Brett White's there, Frank Benici. I'm really interested to know. I mean, it, it doesn't surprise me at all that Madge said, Frank said yes straight away because it's one arena that he hasn't been a part of at that level. So that will add a, a different dimension as well. Good man. Well, hopefully we'll hear from you, if not before, but when you, when you get off the rig, what's the weather like out there? Not too bad. Bit of wind out there at the moment. It's blowing up around 25 knots. But ironically, where they've been getting scorched in Perth, we haven't been getting too scorched by the weather up here at that. So it's not too bad. Right. So how long do you spend on the rig, mate? Do you are you choppering in in and out, or you just spend a bunch of time there? Yeah, we got a we got a couple of choppers coming in today, so there's some lucky campers going off. But we come out here for three weeks at a time, uh, get dropped yeah. off by a helicopter, and uh, work consistently in that three weeks, twelve hour shifts. Uh, so I'll be like a kid at Christmas time. Come, uh, it'll be like Christmas Eve for me next Monday evening, Matty. I'll be uh, that excited to be getting on the plane and getting on the helicopter and heading home. Yeah, good on you, nice man. Good on you, mate. Um, thank you for the call and thanks for your thoughts. And stay safe out there and be in touch when you get back. Terrific. Thank you, mate. Take care. Ciao. There he is.
in the bag, calling us from the oil rig off the coast of WA. Um, I was waiting for this, the Penny Panther says, I'm wondering how much work he does out on the rig all the time that he spends on the phone with SEM. Well, I love it because it's a fascinating lifestyle. I've known quite a few people have done that, and it's that, you know, that fly-in, fly-out nature, obviously, but it's an entirely different world out there. I don't know if I'd be up for it, but I can imagine he will be like a kid at Christmas. Well, it's not too far away. I mean, what are we up to now? 30th of November. The old, where did that one go? So December starts tomorrow, folks. And then we're on that run home. 0457 736 736 is our text line. We're back after this break. Let's update the scores in round one at the Australian Open. So uh, being played in tandem at the Australian Golf Club and the Lakes Golf Club. Cameron Davis playing at the Lakes this morning. Started on the back nine and continues what has been a terrific round so far. He is seven under the card through 15 holes. So he's got the 7th, 8th and ninth to play to finish his first round and he's one shot clear of Grant Forrest. Minwoo Lee is two back, so he's at minus five through 16 holes. Also playing the lakes, also starting on the back nine and also yet to drop a shot along the way. So three birdies on the back and two on the front nine for Minwoo Lee. Cameron Smith is further down the list at minus one in that same group. And he's just, his front nine hasn't gone too well at all. So he's ended up having, I'll run you through his round so far. Started on the back nine, started with three pars. And there's been some pretty good scoring at the lakes this morning. Cam Smith's gone three pars, then he's birdied the 13th. Another three pars, birdie the 17th. And then he's bogeyed the 18th. And then he's hit the turn and he's birdied the first, but then bogeyed the third, birdied the fifth, bogeyed the seventh. So he's up and down like a yo-yo at the moment, Cam Smith, but he's minus one. So that's what now the leader at seven under. So he's six shots off the pace. In the women's, G.I. Shin leads at four under, also playing at the lakes. The lakes. So both of the leading scores at the moment are from the lakes course, although Grant Forrest is playing at the Australian and he's one shot back in the men's. Stephanie Kiriakou at minus three. There are three of the women at three under par. And then Min Ji Lee, who we've been tracking as well, has fallen off my radar here a bit. I'll have to scroll further down unless I've missed her further up. But at the moment, Min Ji Lee, there she is, tied for sixth. So she's only three shots off the pace at minus one. And another up and down round for Min Ji Lee, in this case at the Lakes, a double bogey at the 18th. And she's also just bogeyed her last hole, which is the seventh. So she's got two more to play there. Um, that's the latest score check from the Australian Open Golf. Um, further to the netball scenario that's going on and the standoff that continues, I wanted to play you this earlier, but um, Michael Maguire's press conference came live. So we took that. Kelly Ryan, who is the CEO of Netball Australia, under fire, no doubt, had a chat with Jared Waitley this morning on SEN 1116 in Melbourne and... This is what Kelly Ryan had to say on how destructive this dispute has been for netball in this country. Yeah, obviously it's not a situation any of us want to be in and that's why we started the conversations in January this year. So we weren't in this position. Um, But again, we have made made great progress. So we don't want to lose sight of the things that we actually do have alignment on. 
Um, and that's really positive for the players and, and it's a really great step forward for us as, as a league as well. So we don't, uh, we, we don't want to be here. We certainly don't want it playing out in, in the public sphere either. We do genuinely believe these things are better resolved behind closed doors um, and that, is, that always continues to, to be our commitment um, to the process. Uh, but we can't shy away from the fact of, of where we are in the conversations and the timing and the fact that our players um, haven't earned an income now for eight weeks does not sit well with any of us at all and that's why we're just trying to find this interim solution that gives them what we know that they're, they're really chasing um, at the moment and continue that commitment which has not stopped in terms of continuing the discussions around the remaining issue. So a lot of discussions going on there but um, we're going to have to see what plays out on that tomorrow but for eight weeks the players haven't been paid so there's nothing going in there for two months now. Now, the deal that they're talking about has some back pay attached to it, and that was something that they put to the players yesterday, and overall that was rejected, the overall proposal of what they put. And if you heard us speak with Emma Greenwood just before the news 20 minutes ago, it was, in fact, um, decried as a publicity stunt from the Australian Netball Players Association in terms of what Netball Australia put out yesterday. So, roadblock, an official roadblock. A uh, quick update here of Sheffield Shield. So New South Wales against Tasmania, day three at the SCG at the moment. New South Wales lead by 87 runs. So Tassie all out this morning for 200. Uh, the best of the wicket takers, Jackson Bird with three for, and so too Chris Tremaine. Blake Nikotaris is out, so he's gone for 16. Ryan Hackney and Sam Constas on debut this uh, not this morning, he debuted the start of this match, obviously, and has already had a bat, but they're one for 63, New South Wales. So they have a lead of 87 runs in that one. Uh, Queensland against WA. West Australia trailing by 238 runs here and some early wickets for the Queenslanders. Western Australia just can't get a handle on this one. So they're three for 63, WA in their second innings. Cam Bancroft out for seven. Sam Whiteman, the skipper, gone for 10. And Jaden Goodwin out for three. Cameron Green is at the crease. And he's there with Hilton Cartwright. So three for 63. And the wickets spread uh, across the Queensland bowling lineup at the moment. And then a final check on the other match, which is Victoria and South Australia. And Victoria have a lead by 69 runs at the moment. So they posted 278 in their first innings. In reply, South Australia 252. And now Victoria are three down for 43. Travis Dean gone. Marcus Harris, as I mentioned, gone for six. And Mitchell Perry. So the top three all gone in single figures. Will Pekowski and Peter Hanscom at the crease right now. We're approaching our final break. We'll come back and wrap it up. Don't forget, Michael Maguire will be joining Jimmy Smith a little bit later on this afternoon right here on SEN. That's it, folks. We're out of time on this Thursday morning, the last day of November of 2023. Tomorrow morning on the show, Jaleesa Raps, Chris Nelson will have his race tips for the weekend. We'll catch up with Larry Canning again at the Australian Open. By the way, Cameron Davis has now gone to eight under. So he's now two shots clear after a birdie on the seventh. So well done. He's absolutely tearing it up this morning. Um... And is eight under the card with two more holes to play there at the Lakes. Afternoons with Jimmy Smith coming on. New South Wales Blues coach. Yes, we can say that. It's official now. New South Wales Blues coach Michael Maguire will join Jimmy. 
And also Perth Wildcats owner and our boss here at SEN, Craig Hutchison, will join Jimmy and Sydney Kings owner Paul Smith for the crossover. That's ahead of that matchup tomorrow night. So that's coming your way from 2.30 Eastern Daylight Saving Time this afternoon. See you tomorrow, folks.